Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. All right. Welcome into the fifth down, the Houston Texans podcast, brought to you by the Houston Chronicle. Jonathan Alexander, Houston Chronicle beat writer, covers the Texans and the NFL. And Jerome Solomon, yours truly, columnist at the Chronicle. We dive into this week's Texans action. Uh, do a little recap of their big win over the Oilers in Nashville, Tennessee on Sunday. Uh, we, we, we can't let that go, Jonathan. I know you're new to Houston for a couple of years, but I assume you've gotten the feel for how uh, that Oilers jersey situation really rubbed a lot of Houstonians, and not just Texans fans, just Houstonians, period, the wrong way. Yeah, for sure. Like A lot of people were in my mentions when I, when I took a picture of the field that said Oilers and uh, Titans on it as well. And yeah, it just didn't feel right. You know, it felt like it was Houston's history as you wrote earlier in the week and, and they're hijacking it. And then they did it on a week that they were playing the Texans. It felt like they were trying to rub it in Houstonians' faces. So definitely flaunting it in a lot of ways. And and they were even advertising it as the Texans versus the Oilers and and, and and for the players and the players on both teams, they don't care about that. They're, these guys weren't even born when the Oilers were around. They they know nothing about the Oilers' history, um, and nothing about how they fit in Houston. And, and and Nashville fans have come to appreciate it, I guess. But they none of the, the great Oilers players ever played a game in Nashville. So why would they, you know, really care about those guys in the, in the way that they were? are and would be beloved here if all this history remained in Houston. So yeah, it's it was it's disgusting the way they, they did it. And some of it can be fun. I I get that too. I didn't grow up even grow up an Oilers fan. And I and I'm disgusted by it. Yeah, Malik Collins joked that only one person on the Texans was mad and that was Jerry Hughes, who's the oldest player on the team. He's he's thirty five and grew up in Houston. He knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he, he joked that he was the, the only person who cared. But but yeah, for fans, like it's a big deal, you know. If you grew up a uh, Oilers fan, or if you grew up during that time period, and you know, it was it was Houston Oilers who who built that that legacy. Like Earl Campbell was a Houston Oilers player. You know, Warren Moon was a Houston Oilers player. Yeah, never played it down in Nashville, so that's that's a different world to them. But I will say too, the Oilers always disappointed. So, and that's let's get into that game. That's when I tweeted right after the game that uh, where does this loss rank on the list of Oilers embarrassment because they were playing the Oilers and uh, I'll ask the Texans what a huge win and we'll start right at quarterback. I mean, Case Keenum have not played a meaningful game in like two years uh, at the end of the twenty twenty one season. He got a few mop-up snaps in a couple of games last season and haven't played this year. Why did D'Amico Ryans choose to start Case Keenum over Davis Mills, who has played and has been the number two guy all season? Yeah, it had been January 2022, so almost two years, like you said. But, you know, I, I thought hard about this and, and talking to D'Amico, who didn't really want to talk bad about Davis Mills, and I could understand that. But 
I think it, it came down to a few things. Most notably, Case Keenum had been in situations like this before, like you mentioned. In, in his last two starts before this one, he was 2-0. We had one, two game, two starts with the Browns that were critical. Even well before that, I think it was back in 2013 or 2012 when Ryan Fitzpatrick broke his leg or 2014, um, Bill O'Brien called uh, Chase Keenum and had him come back to the team and sign him off the Rams, St. Louis Rams at the time, practice squad. And Chase Keenum won two games in the playoffs. I am won two games in the regular season, delete the Texans to the playoffs. So he had been in this situation before. I think another thing is you had to look at Davis Mills' track record. And even though I think he had improved from last year, you know, one of the biggest things that or struggles that he had done was, was turnovers. He led the league in turnovers, was tied with the league lead in turnover with that Prescott in 2022. Case Keenum, on the other hand, is known for not turning the ball over, keeping the ball uh, safe. And I think that's been key for the Texans all year. They haven't turned the ball over with C.J. Stroud, and they needed that situation. And they weren't going to ask Case Keenum to do too much. They were going to ask him to deliver the passes to his playmakers and let them make plays. And they hoped that the defense would stand strong and, and they would handle the rest. And that's exactly what happened. Case Keenum didn't do too much. He wasn't flashy. I don't think he had a pass longer than 18 yards, if I'm being honest. And, oh, no, the 41-yard pass. But that was a short pass that Devin Singletary. Yeah, it was a catch and run. Yeah, catch and run. So that was that was the game plan. They they didn't want they didn't need, need Case Keenum to do too much. They just needed him to deliver accurate passes and let the playmakers handle the rest, and that's what happened. And that's why the Texans, along with their dominant defense, ultimately came out on top over the Texans. And I'll give D'Amico Ryan some credit, not only for making that call, which was would have been slammed by everyone if Case came out and played poorly, but also when, once the game got going, the Texans played really conservatively. They you know, didn't go for a couple of fourth downs or a situation that I thought he might go for, or, or they just – you know, they got inside the red zone, inside the 10, and were readily settling for field goals. I was questioning Bobby Slowick's play call and et cetera. But Ryan's was playing this game like he knew his defense was going to keep him in it. Because there were a couple of times I was like, you know, I you watch the Titans move the ball the first couple of possessions. Like, okay, if y'all don't score a touchdown or try to keep up, they, they might run away from me. And I was just wrong because <clears throat> the defense – Locked them down after that. It just, I mean, this might have been the best game of the season. Yeah, I, I thought so. It, it started with stopping and run. Derrick Henry couldn't do anything. Christian Harris was all over Derrick Henry. I mean, the defensive line was. Yeah, dying. Derrick Henry had 16 carries for nine yards. Like, my goodness. I think that was the lowest since 2017. I think the lowest of a start for him. They were just dominant. The, the offensive line dominated the Titans' offensive. Uh, the Texans defensive line dominated the Titans offensive line, got into the backfield. Malik Collins was dominant. Sheldon Rankins was really good. Jonathan Grenard, he's up to 12 sacks on a year, career high. Those guys were just playing really well. And because they were able to stop the run, you know, that put the Titans in a lot of difficult third down situations. The Titans were in third and long on 12 of their 15, 12 of their 15 third down attempts. And when, when that happens, that allows you to get out of the quarterback, maybe send a little blitz. And Jonathan Grenard was easily getting pressure, and Malik Collins was easily getting pressure on Will Levis. And Will Levis was sacked 
seven times, and that was a season high for the Texans. And that gave the cornerbacks the ability to play freely. You know, Steven Nelson made a few plays on D-Hop, had an interception, had a crucial pass deflection. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr. almost had an interception, almost had one that looked almost identical to what he had against the Broncos where he kind of came over the top. They really shut D-Hop down, and uh, it, it all started with being able to stop a run. And, and Derek Henry said they had answers for everything. And that was, that was certainly the case. Yeah, they were all over it. I mean, Hopkins had nine targets, but only two receptions for 21 yards, which is, you know, remarkable for a guy of his ta- for his talent. And wasn't like it was – they had Stingley on him all the time. The Texans don't flop quarterbacks or have a corner run with a player. They they stay in their, their base, def- not base defense, but they stay on their own side of the field and cover. Um, so he, Hopkins got to go against everybody back there and all of them did a good job. The, the thing I was talking about a little earlier, I'm thinking they might be in trouble because the Titans' first possession, I mean, the Texans came out three and out. Okay, you expect that off the opening kick. Titans went 83 yards, boom, 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 right down the field. You're like, oh, man, this could be one of the days. Well, then the next possession, they had 32 yards. They're, the rest of the game, I mean, we're talking 11 more uh, possessions, not one of them did they gain even 20 yards. That is ridiculously dominant defense to not even give up a 20-yard possession after the first two possessions of the game. I mean, that, I, you, you couldn't have a, a, a stronger defensive effort, and it still took <laughs> overtime and a 54-yard field goal on the final play of the game to get that win, and we, we see it every week, but the more the, they played so many of these games, they don't they don't seem to flinch. Nah, they don't flinch. It, it definitely helps when you have Faini Fairband back. That guy is automatic. I think he's up to um, 21 or 22 field goals. So they had a ton of confidence in him when he lined up for that 54-yard field goal. They knew he was going to make it uh, because he's just done that all year. But, yeah, the Titans had to- 204 yards of, of total offense, and that was something the Texans were definitely excited about because the Titans had just got a win against the Dolphins the previous week. Dolphins who have arguably the best offense in the NFL. So to come here and, and to do that against Will Levis, who is a young rookie quarterback, certainly made some mistakes, but has a lot of potential, has a strong arm. And, of course, Derrick Henry, who in trend, even though Derrick Henry might not be what he was at MVP, he's still one of the top running backs. He came into the game with third most rushing yards. Yeah, he, he he's gonna he can get some yards. He he can do some damage to you. Period. Yeah. And he had he had made a he had feasted off the Texans in recent years. He had like of his last five games before last week, uh, he four of them were for over two hundred yards, and the the last one was for one hundred twenty six yards. So he was uh pretty dominant against the Texans. But this is a different Texans team. They're new defense under D'Amico Ryan's. They know how to play the run. Sheldon Rankins has really helped them his addition Malik Collins talks about it and I'm gonna write this later on this week but they have a real good chemistry Malik Collins and Sheldon Rankins have really good chemistry and communication and 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 that's really allowed them to to hone in on that run and along with health health is important too they're they're healthy finally and 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 teams they're six in the NFL and stopping a run so that was which a, we, we would we have now predicted that coming into the season. Like anything near the top ten was going to be a huge improvement since they were the worst in the league, pretty much uh, the last couple of seasons. It's sixth worst in the NFL. Yeah, you say health, 
but I mean, they, I mean, the Texans are not healthy. <laughs> the, the, the two best linebackers weren't, well, Will Anderson Jr. is more of an edge rusher than straight linebacker, but he and Brian Cashman, I mean, not, not best linebacker, but two starting linebackers were not in the game. What is the situation uh, injury-wise across the board? Yeah, it, I mean, Blake Cashman has a, has a hamstring injury, but, you know, for them not to put him on the IR and they put Tavier Thomas on the IR, you know, they, they think Blake Cashman could come back at some point during these final three games. Of course, hamstring injury is a little bit difficult to read. Some players have been out, like Juice Scruggs was out for nine weeks or three months almost. I think three months, actually. Uh, but Dalton Schultz only missed two weeks with a hamstring injury. So it, it just depends. I, I think the fact that he wasn't placed on IR means that they think he could return for the end of the season and definitely for the playoffs, and he's somebody that they're going to need. Um, Jimmy Ward suffered a, a concussion and it didn't look good because when he I, I saw the replay a few times, you know, he kind of went limp, had to be helped off the field. So he's probably he's going to be in concussion protocol. And as we can see with C.J. Stroud, you know, you just don't really know. And C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryan said he's doing better, but he has to go through a practice first, a non-contact practice, which could happen Wednesday and then has to go through a contact practice. And he has to come out of both of those practices without any concussion sy- symptoms. If he does, he'll have to go back a step. They'll test him. So it's still possible he could play, but CJ still has to go through a series of steps before he can return to the field. Yeah, and, and I mean, give Case Keenum a lot of credit for what he did, what he pulled off in Nashville. But this game here on Sunday against Cleveland Browns, who have one of the best defenses in the league, across the board, uh, you, you, you need C.J. Stroud uh, to get back under center. Yeah, for sure. You see, you got some. I mean, Miles Garrett is probably going to be the defensive player of the year. He didn't have a sack last week, but he was he was all over the field, and, and he'll he'll be a true test uh, for Laramie Tunsil and whoever is at right type. I don't know George Fant also was out, and he was dealing with a hip injury that was nagging him the past few weeks and finally had to take a break. So uh, Texas is going to have their hands full because that, that defense has been really carrying the Browns. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're number one against in yards, total yards, number one against in passing yards. Uh, they don't give up. They give up some points across the board, it seems like. Uh, for a defense that dominant, they're only 12th in the league in points against, but in scoring percentage is really low. So they, they force you into a lot of three and outs, a lot of drives that don't produce anything. And uh, that's that's how you get in some trouble against a team that keeps shutting you down and shutting you down. Yeah, and I, I think that's actually remarkable considering at times how bad the offense has been, you know, when Deshaun Watson had some bad games too. But when he went when he got hurt. It know, really tried, went bad, yeah. Yeah, they turned to their backups, and their backup, you see the backup statistics, terrible. Aside from Joe Flacco, he's kind of turned things around the last two games. But before that, they had about a three or four game stretch where backups were just brutal. And I think that contributed to some of the high scoring games that the Browns have. But the Browns defense is legit. Like they're next level. Like they're 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 a 49ers like level. So yeah, they the Texans need all hands on deck and, and I think Nico Collins is actually close because you know, the fact that he traveled and he was questionable on the injury report indicates that, you know, it's not he's, a long term. He's, clo- he's close to playing. You're right. Yeah, he's yeah. close to playing. So that there was a small possibility. 
So I, I think Nico, you can see Nico Collins up this week, um, had a similar injury earlier in the year where he only missed a game. And, and possibly if CJ Stroud can return to concussion protocol call, he could play, but you know, they definitely want to make sure he's completely healthy before they return him to the field. And I understand that, but getting Nico Collins back would be a big boost as well as on with Garton Schultz. And you saw the type of plays he made snatching that. He saved, basically saved the season. That was a game-saving play, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, kind of snatching it, snatching it away from Curry. What were you going to say? Yeah, it, 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 I was about to move on to, to, to something else. Like Every time you and I dog the running game, the next week Devin Singletary goes out there and, and puts on the show. <laughs> so I, I don't know what they found on Sunday against the Titans, but that, that his moving the ball on the ground is something that, that kept him in the game throughout the game. Well, I think that – so. You know, Singletary had 11 rushes for 65 yards in the first half against the Jets. It was the only thing working. And for some reason, Bobby Sloat uh, went away from him. Yeah. Went away from it. Rushed him only two times in the second half. And I asked him that question, and he was telling me that he didn't want to be predictable, and I, I can understand that. <laughs> but, yeah. but passing it just was not working. And the, at, at some point, they should have went back to Singletary because he was having success and you know they also fed the ball to Damian Pierce but Damian Pierce just for some reason just isn't having a good season and they did the total opposite against the Titans they stuck with Devin Singletary and he rewarded them for it 26 carries 121 yards rushing had that walk off rush if not for the uh, holding call on John Metchum. Um but he was he was huge and, and they talk about him being patient with his Bogdan's finding, his Bogdan finding holes, uh, it, it seems to be coming together. And this is going to be critical even when CJ comes back. Like you got to have running game and a passing game and a balanced attack. Like you can't let have CJ carry you in, in every game. So I think they found a formula, and that's Devin Singletary. And hopefully, you know, they can get Damian Pierce going a little bit more, you know, when Devin Singletary needs a, needs a spell. But I think Devin Singletary is a clear number one running back in this situation. And you can see the the difference in touches. I think Damian Pierce only had like three snaps all game. Yeah, he only, only had one carry for three yards. Yeah, no, it was it was obvious that they're like, no. It, it, and it got the sense it wasn't just they were going with the hot end. It's like, no, we got to go with the guy who's better in our offense and better with our offensive line and the way, reading the blocking better than Damian. Damian just hasn't read the blocking well. When he didn't have it, he hasn't broken tackles. He just is hasn't been hasn't been good. It's a, it's as simple as that. One thing we can dive into too is the the playoff situation. And as I try to tell people all the time, Jay, ignore the if the playoffs started today stuff because playoffs don't start today. That's not how it that's not how it goes. But almost all of the teams, well, all the teams competing with now basically won last week, which is pretty fascinating. The Browns, Bengals, Colts, and Texans are all at eight and six. All of them won their games. This past weekend, um, and they say current standings, we have the Browns, Bengals, and Colts in, and the Texans and Bills out at eight and six. But if you look at all the computer models, you look at the playoff percentages. The Texans have a higher percentage of making the playoffs than the Colts and uh, the, the the Bengals as well. So it's because of the way the, co- the who the teams the Texans have beaten and who is left on the schedule. Uh, and I, I, the New York Times has this really cool playoff predictor that you can click on uh, the games and see pick which team wins. 
and see how it affects the playoff percentages. If the Texans win out, they're a lock for making the playoffs. They're, they're just in. They would be in with 11 wins. If they um, Right now, their percentage of getting in is 55%. With a win on Sunday, it jumps to 68%. The Titans come here two weeks from now. If they beat the Titans, their playoff percentages goes up to 84%. So these next two games can really get get them taken care of. And quite likely, it's going to go down to a uh, that trip to Indianapolis at the end of the season to whether or not they can make the playoffs. But if they win these next two and lose at the Colts, there's still a 71% chance to make the playoffs. Yeah. Because all of these teams are playing each other, and the Texans have beaten a bunch of the teams that are in that 8-6 and six range. And, and they could still mess around and win the division. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean – if the Jaguars lose and the Texans win out, that's the AFC South for the Texans. Yeah, it's it's, it's they're just they're in a really good position. Um, and, and it's funny for them to be in this position with some a couple of the worst losses uh, <laughs> on the board, but they've got really good wins because they've beaten the Bengals and the Broncos and uh, and the Steelers. But all of those teams, they could be in the mix and they still have a chance to beat the Colts and beat the Browns and. They've already wiped the Titans out, but they definitely want to beat them the second time. Just the way that this team seems to not make excuses for anything. And you know where that all starts. That starts at the head coach. Yeah. Yeah. We we often ask D'Amico Ryans, you know, about having the most players on the IR in the league. And they've they've been the most injured team all season. As far as like players on the IR. And and starters missing time, and he often says it's it's, it's the next man up. Like you gotta you gotta play. Injuries happen in the NFL. Like this, and guarantee that there's gonna be an injury every week. So in that case, that's where you build depth. And I think you know initially I wasn't really sh- sure about the Texans' depth to the season. I didn't know if they had enough players, but they've picked up some re- actually picked up some really good players who have contributed and played at a high level. DeAndre Houston Carson had, had to come in for uh, Jimmy Ward when he suffered a head injury, and he hasn't missed a beat. Well, he played well, and they still continue to play well even when um, he was out. Um, you look at guys like um, like Denzel Perryman's plan and played a good game even though he has struggled at times earlier this season. And Christian Harris is playing well. Um, you know, Case Keenum stepped up when the Texans needed him. You know, when when Dalton Schultz was out, Brevin Jordan was good. So, like, they've had multiple guys kind of step up when they've had injuries. And Noah Brown had a real good game after after two terrible games against the, the Jets. And um, you know, one of the things that um, D'Amico Ryans and the Casario did is they went out and, and picked players who, you know, not Pro Bowl type players or, you know, future stars or anything, but guys who have a track record in the league, who, who played some games, who started games, who had some, who've had been solid players, just may not be the best of the best, but they're not asking to come in here and be great. They're not asking to start necessarily until people get hurt. When they've had to go to the bench to bring in guys, they've been bringing in veterans. Yeah. As opposed, as opposed to rookies or guys who, you know, two second-year guy who's only played special teams. Now he's out there in important games. No, they've been bringing in guys who have played in real football games and real situations. And a lot of guys, and then a lot of coaches do this, uh, they've brought in several players who played with the 49ers, where D'Amico Ryans and 
Bobby Sloak and those guys were there, so they knew what they were made of. And not all those guys have contributed, but they brought in a lot of those guys, a lot of those players. They let you know what they're looking for. They they know what they want, and they've been able to go out and find those specific guys. So, and D'Amico, he means it when he says we don't change anything. We know that's not one hundred percent true. It's not to change yeah. from player to when you lose one player and you go to a different player. Because trust me, they ran the same offense, but they ran it completely different with Case Keenan behind center or under center versus C.J. Stroud. We we get that. But D'Amico's not allowing his players to have to make any excuses. Yeah, not at all. I mean, another player I was thinking of, George Fant. Like, they signed him in free agency, and he's been one of their most consistent offensive linemen with the exception of missing last week. So it's just they've made some really good signings, had some players really step up. Their scheme seems to work really well when they're fitting it, and this is a huge reason why they're in position to be in the playoffs because guys have haven't missed a beat when they've had injuries. I mean, they've they definitely taken some steps back at times, lost some games that they shouldn't have lost. I still don't understand the Panthers' loss, but they haven't lost two in a row since week two. So, and now they're in position to make the playoffs, and they've completely flipped the script um, because if they don't make the playoffs now, this would be a hugely disappointing season because they played too well and are in position to make it, and it's up to them at this point. And if they don't make it, it, it'll be a disappointment. Yeah, you don't want this to be all for naught. And, you know, their first-round pick, it doesn't matter. Their first-round pick belongs to the Cardinals. The Who who they get in the first round is dependent on the Browns. So this, <laughs> I just thought about it, this, this week means a lot. Texas got to win this game for draft purposes and for uh, playoff, playoff positions. Yeah, this is. It won't be easy. Like you said, the Browns might might have the best overall defense in the league, the best defensive player in the league this season. Uh, they'll they'll get after it, but it this should also. And I thought it it's been coming throughout the season. I would I would guess. I mean, it is Christmas Eve, but I I would guess that the fans for this weekend's game would will be kind of fired up after that win in Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd expect it to be packed. Uh, just knowing what's on the line, knowing that they need to beat the Browns, um, and and knowing how much this means, it, it it seems close. You could tell, you could see the energy. It just seems what like within reach, and and the Texas destiny is in their own hands. They win all these three games, and they're in the playoffs for the first time since 2019. So, indeed, indeed. And what um any huge stories working on this week, or is it day to day for you? Uh, checking out, seeing if uh, C.J. Stroud will return. We'll know more, of course. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday's practices, Friday's practices. I want to look into uh, the history of backup. Why backup quarterbacks have been successful in their first games? I might take a look, little bit look at that in, in in Case Keenum's history in particular and why he's been successful. He says he's built for this. So, so check definitely check on HoustonChronicle.com/sports for for more of our content. That's where to get it at. And thank you guys for checking out the fifth down and we're, um and we will see you next week after the Texans and Browns leading into another battle against the Titans slash Oilers. That time it'll be at uh NRG Stadium here in Houston. Thank you guys for listening. Good job, Jonathan, and we'll catch you next week here on the fifth down.